Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Madison Church Online. My name is Stephen, and I'm the lead pastor of Madison Church. And today is a special day because it is our sixth anniversary as a church. Six years ago on this Sunday, the Sunday after Labor Day, we started Madison Church. We had our first ever public service. After uh, just moving to Madison six months prior and having a small group in my home, we decided to go public with the church and to start having Sunday services. Now, those first six months were awful unique when we were meeting in my apartment. The six months after we went public uh, were also unique. And the last six months have been pretty unique with us being online only. And who knows what the next year will bring to us. I'm sure it will also be unique. Nothing has been ordinary for Madison Church, but we keep rolling with the punches, whatever comes our way, because we are so committed and passionate about our mission, which is to connect people with God and each other. We want to help people give back and gather together and grow spiritually as we seek to end loneliness and isolation, not just in Madison, but in our region and perhaps even the world. It's a big goal. It's a big dream, and we're going to need God's help and yours as well. So I'm so glad that you're checking us out. If today is your first Sunday or second, or maybe it's your 10th time you've been joining us online from afar, I want to invite you to come and be part of our community and what we are looking to do together with God's leading here in Madison. Now, some questions are so important in life that we've just got to stop everything we're doing to find an answer. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're hanging out with your friends, you guys are joking and laughing, and then the conversation gets really serious, and somebody asks, who would win in a fight between a grilled cheese sandwich and a taco? Well, you guys would do what any normal person would do, and you would turn to our dear friend, Google, to find the answer. Um, You just type away in that search bar, bar, click search, and then all of a sudden the answer comes up. Even the answer to who would win that fight between a grilled cheese sandwich and a taco. Yes, I'm not making that up at all. It was actually something that came up in an article I read, or if you can even call it an article, I came up across um, a writing that was the 23 weirdest Google searches um, ever. And I wanted to share with you a few of my favorite. Um, This first one is, where do I get talent? Where do I get talent? That doesn't seem weird. I mean, don't we all Google that? Just me? Okay. Moving on. This person was obviously having a real rough time. They searched, what if I hired two private investigators to follow each other. Like I said, they were not having a good moment. Why is Nicolas Cage on the cover of a Serbian biology textbook? I'm shocked, aren't you? That's really Nicolas Cage. And why is he on a biology book? That's so weird. And right about now, I know that half of you are getting ready to Google churches near me. We all have questions, and obviously some of them, like the ones I just told you about, are not that important. But we also have a lot of questions that are important, too, questions that Google just isn't equipped to handle. Um, These are scary and uncertain times because of COVID-19. All of us, you, me, your friends, your family, neighbors, people you know, people you don't know, we are all asking questions right now about life, faith, God, while we're looking for comfort and encouragement during what is 
probably the most challenging time in many people's lives. Like I said, COVID-19, the global health crisis, racial tensions and injustices on the forefront of society. We're starting school all virtual. This is stressing parents out. Parents are having to quit jobs so that they can stay at home because it's cheaper than um, or more affordable than hiring a nanny. We live in very challenging times. And so people are asking really tough questions, things that you can't just type into Google and get an answer that will be satisfying. So where do we go to find the answers to life's toughest questions? And I would like to argue, um, and, and not in an arrogant way, but I would like to argue that right here at Madison Church is a great place to ask those types of questions. And because of that, we're starting a new seven-part, yes, seven-part series called Making Sense of God. And the reason that it's seven parts is because we're taking the seven, what we think are the biggest questions that people have about Jesus, God, faith, and the Bible, and we're setting off to try to have a conversation about the possible answers to those really tough questions. The goal of this series, as far as I'm concerned, is just to explore God with each other. And it's important that I state that, and it's important that we come to an agreement that that's the goal of the series. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm not trying to give you easy, canned answers. I'm not trying to make you feel dumb or make me feel smart. A lot of the things that we're talking about are very difficult and they're challenging and there are no easy answers. And, and oftentimes what we're going to find out in this series is that there are multiple right answers, potentially. None of the questions that we're talking about have easy answers. And if they did have easy answers, we wouldn't be talking about them in a series that we're calling Making Sense of God. And today we're going to begin with uh, maybe one of the biggest questions that people have. And that question is, does life have purpose? Does life have meaning? Does life have a purpose? This is one of the biggest questions that I think most people ask, and I think that every single person in the world has asked it at least once in their life. It's a question that involves a cosmic search. What is the meaning of life, and is there meaning in life? And that's a big question. It's intimidating, and honestly, you could go to Google right now. You could type that in, and a Wikipedia article would show up. I know because that's what I did. I was testing it out. And what you'll get in that Wikipedia article are tons of people's opinions and, and what different religions believe and different philosophies and even just popular culture, what we think the meaning of life is, just normal people talking. But I want to argue that beyond all of the superficial stuff, that there is a deep meaning behind life. I, I think that this deep meaning, and once we talk about it and discover what it is, I think it'll impact the decisions you make, like what job should I take? What should I study at school? Where should I go to school? How should I spend my money? How should I parent my children? Who should I spend the rest of my life with? Now, let's just be honest. If life doesn't have a purpose, we're completely overthinking all of those questions. Because if life doesn't have a purpose, if there is no meaning, then what's the point of thinking through any of that stuff? Why not just do what feels good or, and what you want to do right now? But if life does have a meaning, does have a meaning, then perhaps we're not thinking about those questions enough. How and what and when? One of the first people to write that, that we have on record to write about questions about purpose and meaning of life is actually Solomon from the Old 
Testament. Um, he was a king who lived thousands of years ago in ancient Israel, and his writings, his search for the meaning of life is actually one of the books that we have in the Old Testament, and it's called Ecclesiastes. Now, it occurs to me that I say that. We're going to talk about making sense of God, and we're going to answer these hard questions, and does life have purpose, and now let's go to the Old Testament. You might be surprised and think, well, it sounds like we're about to get into a really easy kind of Bible can answer here. But I'm going to surprise you, I think, or at least Solomon is going to surprise you. Solomon is somebody who believed in God and who wrote multiple books in the Bible, actually, But what we see is that Solomon struggled and wrestled with the same question. Does life have a purpose? Yes, even people who believe in God and write books that are in the Bible wrestle with the content that you and I are talking about today. I wrestle with them. You wrestle with them. It doesn't mean that you're short or lacking in faith. Not at all. It just means that you're waking up to the realities of life and asking the same questions that these giants of faith have also asked. The truth is that we all wonder from time to time, what on earth am I here for? Now, Solomon had it all. Just a little context of Solomon. He was a king. He lived thousands of years ago. He was literally on top of the world. He was powerful. He was rich. He was, he was smart, and he wrote books in the Bible. I mean, he's, he seemingly did it all for anyone who lived in that era of time. Now, let's look at the second verse in the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. Now, usually when I open up a talk like the one I'm doing right now or other talks in the past and talks I will do in the future, I usually try to bring people in on a little bit of a journey with me. I'll, I'll use something kind of amusing to gently pull the audience in like weird Google search histories. Now, Solomon, however, he goes a different direction in his answer. Uh, does life have a purpose? And he says, seemingly, no. Meaningless. Everything is meaningless, is what he says. And sure, everyone is having, has a bad day from time to time. Is that what Solomon was having when he wrote this? But it's not because he uses the word meaningless 38 times in his short little book, Ecclesiastes. 38 times. Now, in the Hebrew language, I think you might find this interesting. Hebrew is the language of the Old Testament. And in that language, the word meaningless actually translates into English as vapor, something like vapor. And vapor denotes something that's temporary or fleeting. It's something that looks solid, has a little bit of shape, but as soon as you try to grab hold of it or as soon as you start to pick out what that looks like, it goes away. It's like this. You can see the shape and then it's gone right before your eyes. That is what he's talking about. When he says everything is meaningless, he's saying everything in life is kind of like this. It's there for a moment, and then it's gone. Everything that he tried to find meaning in and purpose of life in faded away. He says um, wisdom and knowledge, for example, led him nowhere in chapter 1, verse 16. Look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. 
So Solomon says, I looked for the meaning of life in wisdom and in knowledge, and I just could not find it. And I think that you and I can do the same thing. Perhaps you thought that once you graduated high school or once you graduated college or once you finished your PhD that you would feel fulfilled. And certainly your mind feels fulfilled. Your mind probably feel, feel, feels over full, right? But I would bet that that alone, your academic pursuits in and of themselves still leave you wondering if life has a purpose. You see, because the value of your life is not measured by how much or how little you know. Does life have a purpose? Not if it's just about wisdom and knowledge. Next, Solomon tries to find meaning of life and accomplishments. He writes, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and planting beautiful vineyards. And he goes on and on to talk about the big homes he builds and the vineyards he has and all of the things he has accomplished in his life. And he says, I've, even that is meaningless. He had big houses. He had big yards. He was the king of Israel. He was literally on top of the world. He was who everyone else aspired to be more like in that era. And I know so many people who think that they'll find meaning and purpose in their lives through accomplishment because I am one of those people. When we're kids, it's Little League trophies and academic ribbons that convince us that we have worth now. We've accomplished something and so we have worth. And as an adult, it's job titles and it's other professional accomplishments that say that we have value. But anybody who has climbed a corporate ladder or who has thought that once I get this accomplishment and has actually done that knows that accomplishments are not the meaning of life. That they just fade away. The value of your life is not measured by how much or how little you accomplish. Does life have a purpose? Not if it's just about accomplishing something. Now Solomon says, okay, how about wealth? He continues, I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and many beautiful congregations. I had everything. I had everything a man could desire. Yes, wealth too, also left him feeling like he had nothing, like there was no meaning or purpose in life. Another search that seems to like maybe, oh, maybe this is it. It wasn't accomplishments. It wasn't wisdom. So maybe it's in my wealth. And Solomon says, it's just like everything else in life. And I know that people tend to think that once they get a certain amount of money, whether that's in how much income they have over the year or per paycheck, or once they have a certain amount of cash stashed away in a savings account or in an IRA, they're thinking, well, then I'll find peace and I'll have meaning and purpose. And, and that's just not true. You see, your life isn't measured. The value of your life isn't measured by how much or little you have stashed away in a bank account. Does life have a purpose? Not if it's just about acquiring wealth. It'll fade away. Finally, Solomon thought pleasure. That's what this is. Life is all about eating and drinking and being merry and just living your best life now. YOLO, all of that stuff, right? He was saying that. He writes, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. 
Solomon says he never went without. He never denied himself. Whatever he felt like doing, he did. And some of us think, well, that sounds like he should have found meaning in life and happiness and he should be good. And yet Solomon says, I didn't find meaning in pleasure, that it was just like everything else, fleeting and fading away, meaningless. The thing is, is that pleasure will never, ever be enough. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. He says, we have an ever-increasing craving for an ever-decreasing pleasure. In the end, even pleasure is meaningless. So, does life have a purpose? Well, according to what we're reading in the Bible, no, if life is about pleasure. No, if life is about wealth. No, if life is just about accomplishments. And no, if life is just about knowledge and understanding. I want to make it very clear at this point. Does life have a purpose? I think so. We're going to get to that. But life does not have purpose in the ways that we so often think. We think incorrectly about it. And what we end up doing is we have this giant void in our lives. And we can't quite describe it. And we don't know what's supposed to be there. But what we do is we, we seem to bounce back and forth between, well, if I get an accomplishment like a promotion, well, if I get a raise, there's the wealth. Well, I get to go on this vacation, there's the, the pleasure. And we keep bouncing around from those things and we never, ever get to a point where we're like, now I'm happy, now I have peace, now life feels fulfilled, and now my life has purpose. So what's the answer then? Well, let's continue with Solomon, who at the end of his writing says, Here is now my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. You see, Solomon intends to be quite obvious. He used the word meaningless 38 times in his he says, I tried this and I tried that and everything was meaningless. But there was one thing that I found meaning in. There was one thing that gave my life purpose. And he says that was the fear of God and obeying his commands. And the word fear here isn't like being scared to death or terrified of God, but rather it's about a deep reverence, a respect for God, to have awe of God. Essentially, Solomon is saying, if you want to find meaning, if you want to find purpose in this life, there is no purpose and there is no meaning apart from God. Every single person, you and me, every person that we meet on the streets or our neighbors, co-workers, people we know and people we don't know, they're all created in the image of God and we are all made to be connected with God. And every single one of us are, have been disconnected from God because of the sin in our lives and sin just being the things that separate us from God. It's not always bad words and bad motives, although it includes those things, but it's often a lifestyle that disconnects us from God. And so what ends up happening is that we're meant to be connected with God. We're, we feel disconnected. This disconnect, we're saying we don't have meaning or purpose in our lives. And so what do we do? We try to get connected with money, with pleasure, with all of the things that Solomon writes about. And those things never, ever make us feel connected to God, which is what your true longing is for. Theologian Augustine reached the same conclusion over the course of his life. He says, you, God, have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. 
We are created for God and we will be restless until we are reconnected with God. And it is only in God will we find happiness, peace, rest, meaning, and purpose. That's exactly why we chase after all of the things that Solomon chases after. And there's still a deep restlessness and emptiness inside of us. If you're here today, you don't buy into God's stuff, or you're not sure what you believe, that's, that's okay. I'm actually glad that you're here, and I hope that we're able to converse together and, and talk about these hard things. I want to tell you about a 17th century mathematician named Blaise Pascal. He's one of the greatest minds in uh, the history of Western civilization. He grew up knowing about God, but that was about it. So just like a lot of us, we grew up with, with churches on the, all over the place, and we heard God's name a lot, but that was about it. Not a lot of us really were committed to it or following through it, and that was just like him. And then in a profound middle-of-the-night experience with God, he had a change of heart. And that experience changed his passion, and he wanted to help people find a life-giving relationship with God. And so he began to challenge his very intellectual um, fellow colleagues. He, he said, make a wager on God, and he would dare them. He said, make a bet that there is a God who loves you. And if you are right, you have everything to gain. If you are wrong, you have nothing to lose. Make a bet that God is real. And I want you to make a bet that God is real. I think you have everything to gain. I think you have nothing to lose if I can steal the words right out of his mouth. And it might sound weird for me to say in a church as a pastor that I want you to take a bet that God is real. But I want you to because I believe it could change your life. It changed mine. Take Pascal's wager. It may seem awkward at first, but begin to talk to God and be open to the possibility that not only is God waiting to hear from you, but that he is listening and that God is eager to talk with you. He is eager to respond. Here's the prayer that I would challenge you to pray today, tomorrow, this week. Write it down somewhere where you'll see it often. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Pray that prayer over and over, sincerely and wholeheartedly. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me, and then look for God to make himself known to you in very unexpected ways. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, or you consider yourself someone who is all in, I want you to pray the same prayer this week. And you might have an objection, and you say, why would I pray that? I already believe that God is real. And yet the truth is, is that what we say, just like Blaze, what we say doesn't always line up with the way we live. And let's be honest, the last six months, our lives have been thrown all up in the air and we're scattered all over the place. It's time to get back on track as we enter into this new season of life, a new normal of life as we go forward. And yes, there are still a lot of questions to be answered. There's still a lot of problems in the world. I'm not trying to insinuate that maybe we've turned a corner, but this is a new season. If anything, it's September. We're entering into fall. But I want to encourage you and challenge you that even if you say, I'm, I'm all in on this God thing, to recommit your life and to look at the areas that maybe you've started to begin to get off track. I think that every single one of us should ask the question, am I grabbing a hold of God or am I grabbing a hold of those vapors? What am I grabbing a hold of? And I think that those of us who are following God can just as easily as anyone else 
begin to grasp at those vapors and we begin to chase things that won't ever bring us fulfillment. You see, what we do is we, we say, well, I, I want to seek accomplishments and uh, God bless my efforts to do what I want to do. But that's really seeking accomplishments and then asking God to come in after the fact. But what someone who seeks God does is they say, God, what should I be working on that you're ready to bless? God, where are you already working in my life? God, what do you want me to accomplish? Before I ever tell God to help me accomplish something, I ask God, God, what do you want me to accomplish? Wealth, when it comes to wealth, we're seeking wealth when we say, this is my money and I'll give God 10% and that's supposed to appease him and, and keep him quiet for a while or keep him happy. But when we seek God, View wealth. We say, This is God's money, and I'm just its manager. God gave me, trusted me to take care of this money, no matter how much or how little it is, and I'll thankfully keep whatever God guides me to keep. We seek the world when we seek temporary pleasure that varies day to day, but when we seek God, we find true pleasure, lasting joy. Jesus sees the tendency in us to drift away and to grab things that aren't there, grab vapors. And he says, talks directly to this in his most famous sermon ever given. He says, here's the bottom line. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink. Don't worry about how to clothe your body. Living is more than merely eating and the body is more than dressing up. He says, about what cannot be grasped. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all of these things will be given to you. Well, I always feel like I need to clarify that the things that I'm talking about, wealth and pleasure and accomplishments and wisdom and knowledge, those things aren't bad. In and of themselves, they're not bad. What makes them bad is when we think that we'll find meaning and purpose in them alone, is that when they take the throne of our lives, that's what makes them bad because that will lead us astray. It'll be like grasping toward mist. But Jesus says, when I'm the center of your life, when I am the throne, those things will come to you. Jesus isn't trying to deprive you of wealth or wisdom or pleasure. He's saying the way to truly get those things along with purpose and meaning is by keeping him at the center of our lives. If each person were to truly live this way, I mean, every person who claims to follow Jesus were to really live this way, can you imagine how different the world today would look? Imagine all of the stuff with the pandemic and health issues. What if we took this seriously where Jesus was the king of my life in the center and I was going to run everything through his filter? I wasn't going to do my own agendas or my own opinions, but I was rather going to seek him and love my neighbor and care for my community and put their needs above my own. Imagine all of the stuff that we're seeing with systemic racism and injustice that's being shown so publicly. And that's just the stuff that we see through cell phone videos. And I know that there are 10 and hundreds of times more scenarios where things happen where we don't get those videos so we don't know that they happen. But what would happen if Jesus is the center of our lives as followers of Jesus? We put aside our politics or, or our preconceived notions and we sought out to how can we love people the way that Jesus loves them and tells me to love them. What would this world look like? It would look radically different than what you and I are waking up to every single day.
And that's why this is important. When God is the center of our life, it gives us meaning and purpose, and it makes other things come together and work. Let's go back to C.S. Lewis to close. He writes in Mere Christianity, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. If you're seeking happiness, if you're seeking peace, if you're seeking rest, if you're seeking purpose, and if you're seeking meaning, then seek God first. Let's pray.